Hi, and welcome to another episode of Pasha. My name is Gottfried Boafel. And I'm Ines Kosana. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode, we look at young people and tobacco use. Our guests today are Sam Philby, a research officer on the economics of exercisable products, and Corne van Valbeek, a professor at the School of Economics and principal investigator of the Economics of Tobacco Control Project. They are both affiliated to the University of Cape Town in South Africa. They start by discussing how if a person can get through their adolescence without smoking, the chances of them being a smoker in adulthood is reduced. It's well known that when people start smoking, they typically do so in their adolescent years. Uh, most people start in their teenage years, sometime in early teenage, uh, and typically we find that up to the age of 22 people start smoking. Very few people start smoking beyond the age of 22. Uh, so we know that that period of early uh, of adolescence and early adulthood is a very vulnerable time for people to start smoking. And we also know from uh, research that most smokers actually regret that they started smoking. Uh, in fact, up to 70 to 80 percent of smokers indicate that they would prefer not to smoke, but that they are addicted to cigarettes. And as a result of that, they are basically hooked for life. So from the point of view of the tobacco industry, it is important to grab people as early as possible, because once you've grabbed them uh, during adolescence, you can keep them often for the rest of their lives. If you don't grab them during adolescence, you will probably never grab them. So basically, cigarette sales have been banned in South Africa since about the end of March. And so Corne came up with the idea that he wanted to understand how the ban had impacted people's smoking behavior. So we conducted an online survey, we got around 12,200 Responses. The criterion that they had to meet was they had to have been a regular smoker in the week before the ban became effective. So because they were regular smokers, we could then ask them, you know, did you quit or did you continue buying? Only 16% of all smokers in the sample successfully quit by the time they did the survey, while around 90% of the survey respondents who didn't quit smoking had indicated that they purchased cigarettes during the lockdown. And this is in spite of the fact that cigarette prices practically doubled by the time we did the survey, and also in spite of the fact that it is a crime to purchase tobacco products during the lockdown. We also received some quite interesting comments in our further comments section of the survey, um, where people noted that because of the highly inflated cigarette prices, they were now spending less on other household items in order to get cigarettes. So there's this kind of crowding out effect of expenditure on things like uh, food or other household items to get cigarettes. And this kind of points to the strength of the nicotine addiction and the importance of ensuring that young people don't actually start smoking tobacco and nicotine products. Our guests believe that there are five things governments can do to achieve a smoke-free future. The first is raising taxes on tobacco products. There is essentially a wealth of literature on the effectiveness of tobacco taxation as a strategy for decreasing tobacco consumption. So what the empirical evidence shows is that on average, if you increase the price of cigarettes by 10%, the quantity of cigarettes demanded will decrease by anywhere between 4 and 6% for the general adult population. So adult smokers are typically sticky in their addiction. We find a completely different result for young people in as far as young people are now more responsive to price increases than adults. In other words, if you increase price by 10%, the quantity of cigarettes demanded by young people will decrease by more than 10%. And this is for many reasons that have been explored empirically. So the first is that you know young people typically have lower disposable incomes or are less affluent than adults. And so what a price increase on tobacco products will do 
is it will take a relatively larger share out of a teenager or adolescent's budget than it does for an adult. So this is more likely to leading to them to respond to the increase in tobacco taxes by either quitting smoking or by smoking fewer cigarettes. Another reason why they're more price responsive is because adolescent smokers have a shorter smoking history than adults. This means that they're likely to respond more to price changes than long-time smokers who are more addicted. Young people who already smoke will either quit or smoke less with a price hike. The researchers have also done studies that show young people are more likely to smoke if they peer smoke. What this implies is that an increase in price doesn't only directly reduce youth smoking, but it also indirectly does it by decreasing peer smoking. Next, introducing smoke-free environments can play a role as well, but how? What we understand with smoke-free policies is uh, areas that are completely smoke-free where people cannot smoke. So if we go back something like 20 or 25 years ago, uh, we saw that smoking was pretty much allowed anyway. Uh, we had smoking in public, in specifically places like cinemas, even in the aeroplanes, in retail outlets, etc. Since then, we see that smoking has become banned in South Africa in public areas in 2001. And what that does is it takes the property rights, the rights to clean air, and it gives them to non-smokers. So the right to pollute the air with tobacco smoke is taken away from uh, smokers and the right to uh, free unpolluted air is given to non-smokers. And that feels right. Also what uh, smoke-free policies do is they make it very clear that smoking is abnormal and that non-smoking should and is the norm in a particular area. If that is the situation, uh, children and youngsters grow up with the idea that smoking is an abnormal thing to do. Uh, in our experience from a large number of countries, we find that most governments regard smoke-free policies as the cornerstone or the basis on which the rest of tobacco control policy rests. Plain packaging is a third option. Can you explain how this could help? Most forms of tobacco advertising have been banned around the world. This is kind of the direct marketing um, billboards and etc. So to try and get around this fact that they have this limitation imposed on you know, marketing to people, what the tobacco industry has done has developed incredibly sleek, sexy and attractive designs to market its products to young people. The issue is that these kind of attractive packagings generally lead young people to underestimate the harms of using these products. So for example, a vape flavor that is bubblegum flavor that comes in a cotton candy rainbow uh, box that looks very pretty, if people or young people see that, the evidence shows that they are less likely to perceive that product as being harmful when it is harmful. Because of this, we recommend that all tobacco products should be subject to plain packaging and graphic health warnings so that their attractive packaging designs don't actually lead youth to make the mistake of underestimating the harm these products cause. Australia is a good example of using plain packaging. They chose a very unattractive color called drab brown and standardized it across all cigarette packaging. It's also in a standardized font, so there's no sexy, sleek feature distinguishing the product. 13 countries have done this to date, and earlier this year, Israel became the first country to do this for e-cigarettes. The researchers also recommend graphic health warnings. These are the graphic images of damaged lungs or teeth portrayed in a disgusting way. About 125 countries require these images to be put on tobacco product packaging.
In cases where plain packaging and graphic images haven't been adopted, they are generally behind the curve. For example, South Africa, which only relies on text warning. The next step is to reduce advertising. Governments should be strict on tobacco advertising. Your older listeners and readers will remember the advertising that took place in the 1980s and the 1990s and even before that. In 2001, that advertising was banned in South Africa and in most other countries around the world. In fact, we find that the blatant forms of advertising on billboards, on uh, magazine pages, in the newspapers, even on television, has been banned. However, that doesn't mean that there is no advertising or promotion taking place. In fact, the tobacco industry have become increasingly clever in using social media to try and advertise their products. Through, for instance, influencers, they can promote nicotine and tobacco products. They also uh, use the packaging to create an impression of the product that it is not. We know that the problem is deadly and bad and will cause long-term health issues if consumed over a period of time. The tobacco industry has created legal loopholes in advertising. They've been using new technology to do this. The researchers suggest that governments close these loopholes and make young people aware of how they are being used by the tobacco industry. The final step is education. So when we speak about education as part of an effective strategy to prevent young people from ever starting using tobacco or nicotine products, I'm not talking here about the kind of soft core life orientation education where in grade four they tell you smoking is bad for you. Evidence actually shows that the impact of this kind of intervention to reduce young people's demand for tobacco products is quite weak. What I'm rather talking about here as education is I'm talking about educating young people as to the very deliberate tactics that the tobacco industry uses to try and get them hooked. The reality of the world is that tobacco kills half of its long-term users. So the tobacco industry actually needs to get young people addicted to tobacco and nicotine products in order to ensure their own survival. Young people need to be made aware of this. While governments could firstly try and launch counter-advertising campaigns that educate young people you know, on the tactics employed by the industry. No one likes to be taken for a fool. We feel that if young people are made aware of this, are made of the way that the industry exploits them, manipulates information to try and get the next future generation of customers, half of whom will die because of the use of the product, um, young people will be less likely to use these products. These five steps can play a crucial role in keeping young people from becoming addicted to tobacco. They will need concerted efforts from governments if they are to succeed. Thanks for tuning into this episode produced by Ozer Patel. From me, Godfred Boafo. And from me, Inas Kosana. Goodbye for now.